Hello, and welcome back to the Comic Obsessive Podcast. I'm Adam Piles. And I'm Jason Dehart. This is episode number 26. That's that's quite a few episodes under our belt. Now, anybody listen, listening to this should know that Jason has another podcast. A secret side project. A secret side project, but that that's more than a secret side project. How many episodes do you have of that? Uh, several, several. There are like 300 videos that are out at this point, I think. It's 300 amazing. and something. It's amazing. It's, what was it? Words, images. And worlds. Yeah. And worlds. Yeah. Yep. And I, I like to throw out to this show whenever I can. So it was the Dollar Bin Bandits had me on um, earlier today, not to scoop them or anything, but that'll be coming at some point. Uh, along with Terrence Dollard, and uh, I was, they asked me, how did you get into to podcasting? And I had to throw your name in the ring because <laughs> I was like, you know, um, I started doing this podcast with this guy, Adam Piles, and I was like, hey, this is not so bad. So there you go. That's awesome. And you get to talk to some really cool people like Marv Wolfman and uh, what JMD Mateus. That was your most recent. That's that's crazy. I have some people are so incredibly nice. And I guess the people that aren't nice don't uh, necessarily answer. But yeah, I mean, we've talked to Jim Valentino on this show and Daryl Banks and Bob Hall. um, And they've all been great. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's nice to share about books and that also I, I don't talk about just comics on that show. I'll talk about like poetry or middle grades graphic novels. I've had a couple of literature uh, and literacy professors on and things like that. So, um, you know, every now and then when, I, when I've got some extra time and somebody's been nice enough to answer an email, I'll hop on and talk with some people. And you, you had Chris Crutcher on like speaking of like outside the world of comics um Mm -hmm. that's really cool because i taught one of his books at the high school level and so that that's really cool that you got to speak with him yeah yeah i've enjoyed doing that but i love when we get on here and we talk about comics and we can kind of dig in a little bit because uh, we have that nice back and forth which i really enjoy um it's nice to share about authors i love to share about literacy in that way but uh, love getting the chance to jump on here and find out your thoughts about what we're reading and see what's happening and see what the next issue is yeah. that we're talking about. Well, speaking of that, this is a uh, this is a Jason pick today. This is Suicide Squad number one from May 1987. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I was totally new to this. I mean, I knew what it was. Obviously, like the movies have come out in the last handful of years. Um, I don't know if I knew about the Suicide Squad before the movies. Um, yeah, yeah. Maybe I did. I, I I forget, you know, because a movie, what, the first one came out in like 2016 or something. Is that right? That is right. That is right. And when it came out, I mean, you're talking the birth of the Snyderverse. It was like the third movie in the Snyderverse to come out. Yeah. And honestly, I, I don't know without the character of Harley Quinn, if they would have taken it in that direction. I think there was so much like, oh, we can pull Batman over into this at that point. Um, But then, you know, kudos to Batman, the animated series and Bruce Tim and Arlene Sorkin and those people for making a really interesting character there. So I was kind of surprised to see the Suicide Squad was getting made um, at that point in time. But then, of course, there was a second film, which uh, 
put a V in front of it, the Suicide Squad. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so yeah, yeah, that's it's been a series that's as you said, it's been since nineteen. I think you said eighty-seven. Is that right? Eighty-seven or yeah, this one is eighty-seven. And then so you know, talking about the movie, it shares some similar characters, but not mm-hmm. all the all the characters, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. There's there's a def definitely a, a different team in that movie. Harley Quinn wasn't even a character when this comic came out. No, no, that was still five years away, I guess. Yeah. Um, the introduction of that character. And it's it's been a group that's changed over the years, which is kind of nice. I guess the first, uh, I did a little um, unofficial internet scrolling and searching. I guess the first appearance of this team or a version of the Suicide Squad was Task Force X in the late 50s. Yeah. I think it was 57, maybe. Um, or 59 yeah, oh, yeah. The, the brave and the bold yep yeah yeah and i kind of flipped through that one because um, mm-hmm. i have the the dc app um and yeah you know it's much different tone of course coming from 1959 i mean that's even that's pre-marvel that kind of mm-hmm. changed okay. changed some things and uh i think it was actually even pre justice league america i think uh yeah i think that's right yeah because i think Let's see. I think Brave and the Bold 25 was their first appearance. And then a few issues later, or at least, you know, according to the DC app, a few issues later, uh, Gardner Fox and the Justice League were there fighting Starro. Mm-hmm, Gardner, mm-hmm. Gar- Gardner Fox wasn't. But, you know, the rest of the Justice League was. Yes, yes. Uh, he, he pulled them in. Yes. Yeah, he pulled them in. But uh, so tell us about the Suicide Squad, because I feel like you are way more of a expert on Suicide Squad than I am here. Well, I'm actually, I've been revisiting a little, a little bit of Suicide Squad. And part of the reason why I chose this title uh, for our next pick is, of course, it's from the DC universe. And I feel like I'm sort of the, the DC person of our team. Although right. I'm, I'm going to switch it up. I'm going to switch it up at some point. Um, I had just been to a used bookstore, uh, our favorite used bookstore, actually, McKay's mm-hmm. used book uh, yep. and or books actually they don't have just one they have more than one and mm-hmm. I got um, volume three of the Suicide Squad I saw it there on the graphic novel shelf which is titled Rogues and I thought well that's cool I haven't looked at that in a while and there was a character in the center of it that had captivated me as a young person and that was the Bronze Tiger the Bronze okay. Tiger yeah, lo- love the Bronze Tiger. Love the look and, and just kind of the, the cool vibes that he brought. So my actual introduction to the Suicide Squad would have been the first annual. Okay. Which would have been like 1988. And so same creative team um, they, that was on this book was on that book, except I think Graham Nolan did the pencils. This this book was penciled by Luke McDonald, mm-hmm. who apparently is now in toy design. He's still out there doing things. And um, so this is probably a long-winded answer to your question, but just to, to give a brief background, I remember getting the annual, and I'm not really sure that I understood much of it, but there's kind of an interesting backstory that's happening with the assassination of JFK and how that's tied in with the Suicide Squad. Um, Amanda Waller plays a central part. Um 
there's kind of this espionage aspect to the book. And I know I didn't dig into any of that when I read it the first time, when I probably would have been like seven or eight years old, (laughs) but I love the design of the characters. Mm -hmm. And so um, this, this particular issue jumping back about a year to issue one of the series uh, written by, of course, John Ostrander and inked by Carl Kiesel. Um, Colorist was Carl Gafford letters i feel like this guy lettered a lot of books um in this particular universe and others like it todd klein and mm-hmm. then uh robert greenberger was the editor and covered by howard chaikin um so issue one starts out in my mind kind of like a bond film mm-hmm. yep you, you know how um in daniel craig's introduction there's that whole like airplane scene where he's trying to get this bomb and they're like uh going through this whole process and they're running on the tarmac and eventually it does go off and the, kind of that whole thing. Right. Um, it, it comes about midway through the film. Uh, the, the beginning of this opens very much in kind of that idea of like, we're in the action. There's something happening at an airport. It also reminds me of that is- issue of the flash that we read um, where he's like searching the airport for oh, a yeah. bomb. Uh-huh. And yeah. So um so what we eventually find out is that this whole opening scene has been a facade, which is kind of a, a Mission Impossible take on it as well. That was another thing that I was thinking about as I read this. And so it's actually kind of like training ground, um, kind of like a tryout for a group called the Jihad. And so they're like a group of bad, bad people who do terrible things, which you, you got to have in comics. And so the antidote to this group of bad, bad people who do terrible things is bad, bad people who have done terrible things, but are under the employ of this person, Amanda Waller, to try to redeem themselves and go and fight the good fight in a bad way. That's a great tagline. If anybody out there is doing a, another Suicide Squad story, please yeah, say, say quote that me again. That. Say that again. Oh, I'm not sure if I can get it. I'm not sure if I can get it right. Um, they're out there fighting the good fight in a bad way. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, yeah like it doesn't it. even have, it has like not very complicated words. Good and bad. Um, <laughs> so, that's so why anyway. I like it. Yeah, that's <laughs> my speed. <laughs> that will fit on a post every time. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, it totally, totally kind of follows that. We go to Bell Reeve. I think I'm saying that right. I think so. And uh, we are going through sort of the the lens, the character of Vicky Vale, who would mm-hmm. later on grow up to become Kim Basinger a few years <laughs> later, actually two <laughs> years later. And uh, Vicky Vale is investigating this place, Bell Reeve, and they're like, don't worry, we do great things here. Here's the parasite. He's fine. We feed him a rat every now and then. So Vicky Vale's like, all right, it's fine. Things are great here. She leaves. And little did she know, um, Amanda Waller, being a really intriguing character, is doing nefarious things for good purposes. Again, if you if you want any of these taglines, just let me know. Yep. Um, <laughs> and so they uh, essentially gather together in issue one. It's really a two-issue arc because issue three goes into some ideas with like dark side and, and some different parts of the story. But their task as the Suicide Squad is to invade the compound, it's very G.I. Joe, of the Jihad. And so let me see if I can get 
the character roster right. Um, of course, there's Amanda Waller. There's the Bronze Tiger, who would later go on to have a nice little spot on Arrow. Um, Captain Boomerang, surprisingly a character that has made it. That was, a, that was a bit of a surprise for me, because you know, I knew him from very old Flash. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But, I mean, they do find things with him. I like him as a character. Just uh, And I even remember the trading card I had of him that I think he would cut uh, out of the back of some box or something. But character <laughs> that I loved growing up and um, one that has survived. Deadshot, um, played by uh, Will Smith, of course. Uh, Enchantress, another character that would go on. Uh, Mind Boggler, Plastique, with a Q-U-E. And Rick Flagg. And there there are a bunch of other characters in the book. There's the antagonist group and all of that kind of stuff, which are really interesting. Um, and there are other characters that make their way into the story, too. But this, this issue kind of sets up the next issue, issue two, where they invade Jotunheim and kick some tail is essentially what happens there. So how was my summary? I liked it. I thought it was good. Great, great. Very, very good summary. I try. Uh, I try. I thought it was such an interesting book for, especially for the time period. Mm-hmm. Like, like if you told me this was ninety-seven, I uh, wouldn't have blinked. I'd been like, "Oh yeah, I get that." You know that that tone, that that kind of angst, just that concept of like, yeah, I mean, if you die, you die. Uh, mm-hmm. If you don't die, your sentence gets. Uh, shortened, right? Um, that that concept sounded. I don't know. I kind of felt like it was ahead of its time, and I thought it was really interesting to see what seemed like a more '90s concept mm-hmm. with very '80s packaging. Not in a bad way. I, I'm not saying that yeah, in a bad way. Yeah. Uh, but it was an interesting dynamic, and like his writing, I thought was very good. Like I didn't feel mm-hmm. like it had aged poorly i didn't feel like the dialogue was cheesy yeah yeah i thought he told a very tight concise story and of course you know with that setup of like you know it's not the normal setup of like where in the narrative you eventually kind of get to know your characters and know what they've done and i'm sure there are things that we don't know at this point Mm -hmm. uh just just because of that's kind of how it goes with storytelling but you know you 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 have to know the lineups right yeah yeah an issue like or in a story concept like this you have to know the lineups and um i kind of found that gratifying um because i don't know if maybe i'm just a immature reader but sometimes like when they're very subtle and they're very abstract with their concepts and their ideas and you have no idea who this is on that page. Right. And, and you don't find out for six issues later. And by that point, I've stopped buying it. And so I never know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's frustrating. I like yeah. knowing who I'm dealing with kind of upfront. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think. Uh, it's funny you mentioned that. I was also looking back at the first JSA uh, appearance in um, All-American Comics, I think is what it was called. Okay. Something like that. Yeah. All-Star. That's what it was. All-Star, All-Star Comics. That's right, yeah. And They're the cover of the, the table. 
Yeah, exactly. And and the bottom of it literally lists who's at the table. And yeah. then you open the page, and the splash page is the same thing. It's them at the table and the roster list. And I mean, when you're dealing with a team and you've got 22 pages, um, you you kind of do have to set that up for people. It's not like you have a two-hour film, or it's not like they might be coming back. The reader might not be coming back for the next issue. Or, you know, we, you and I have talked many times growing up, we might not find the next issue. <laughs> right. um, so, which was the case for me. Again, I, I read the annual. So the, the first one I read as a young person was like a year later after the team was introduced. So uh, it's just kind of that, that interesting thing of trying to get a lot done really quickly. Um, but I think that's also part of why it reminds me of like G.I. Joe in a way. And right. I drew lots of those comparisons as I was reading this and thinking about it being situated in, in the 80s. Um, one of my dad's favorite movies when I was growing up was The Dirty Dozen. Mm-hmm. And I kind of feel like this is that if there was like a superhero element to it. Right. Yeah. Which I, which I enjoy. And I guess Ostrander had brought them back in a series called Legends, which oh, yeah. uh, I, I haven't taken the time to read. I'm, I'm going to have to go back and, and check out Legends. But I guess that was kind of like the tease of the team. And then this series started. But I mean, it's got those Sergeant Rock feels. Uh, it's got the G.I. Joe feels. It's got the Dirty Dozen feels to me. And it, you're right. It does read like a different book because of all of those things you know kind of going back to the having to introduce the characters up front i wonder if maybe that's why i'm a little bit like that with like wanting to know who is doing what and then just watching the narrative unfold instead of like so many mysteries is because i kind of cut my teeth with the jim shooter era marvel mm-hmm, mm-hmm. comics and he said that every marvel comic is somebody's first marvel comic and so he made the writers kind of and it would come out stilted now but as a kid it didn't like you know spider-man would introduce us to the concept of his spotty sense right right my spotty sense my um my early warning (laughs) is going (laughs) off like crazy what's going it's like oh so his spider sense is early okay i got you right right um (laughs) But, you know, I wonder if that's where that came from. Uh, and, and and God bless the, the MCU. Love them. But the thing they did, I can't mention Spider-Sense in my classroom now without somebody being like, you mean Peter Tingle? So, yeah. yeah but, yeah, I, I much prefer the Jim Shooter version of, of dealing with that. Absolutely. Yeah. I was going to talk about the cover, too, because mm-hmm. it really, again, kind of transcends its time a little bit. I feel like it does. Um, we've already kind of talked about how the concept was, I felt like ahead of its time because, well, I'm going to touch on that again. It feels like something that you would see from image comics mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in the mid, in the, yeah, in the mid nineties with a lot of cross hatching and I'm not throwing off on cross hatching. I love cross hatching, mm-hmm. but like, you know, a lot of, uh, digital coloring and cross hatching kind of, uh, blanketing this this little concept here of, of the suicide squad so it just feels really ahead of its time but looking at the cover too i mean visually that's so ahead of its time like i've, I've seen some shaken art that i haven't been a huge fan of mm-hmm. but um this cover 
is very gripping. Like it jumps out at you. Yeah. Yeah. When you were talking about like that, um, diving in to set up the hook, I mean, even these eight people will put their lives on the line for our country. One of them won't be coming home. I mean, you know, yeah. right there, it's almost like a movie poster in itself. Yeah. And that, <clears throat> just that black background with these characters kind of half in, in shadow and uh, uh, dead shots kind of, to me, visually, dead shot is the one that jumps out to me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but just that black cover and that red lettering on the front and kind of funny too, how, um, you know, on such a black cover, you have that white box in the corner, which is, it just seems really out of place. It's almost like you just want it to be gone. The, the number <laughs> one in the May 87. But the funny thing is that right beside the word suicide is approved by the comics code authority. <laughs> That's right. That's true. That's true. It just, it just kind of goes to show like how, how how many teeth the the uh, comics code authority had lost at this point you know what yeah. i mean yeah. like they held a pretty firm grip on what was acceptable and i would say back in its heyday the suicide squad would not have been uh you know acceptable by the comics code authority standards oh yeah definitely but that's such a great cover um and Luke McDonald, you know, doing the interior art, mm -hmm. um, he must have been pretty busy because I would say it was around this time period that he was doing um, Iron Man. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He yeah. was doing Rhodey as Iron Man. Did you ever read any of those issues? I did. It's been it's been a minute since I've looked at some Iron Man, actually. But yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. And um, I was kind of digging in. I mentioned Luke McDonald a little while ago, um, just to kind of see, like, you know, his career path and the things that that he was doing. I guess uh, he was also on JLA. Was he at one point? Yeah, I believe so. Okay, I didn't know that. Yep. Yeah. Which so what era are you talking uh, about? Right around this time, too, actually. Oh, okay. uh, would have been, okay. like, right before he worked on this book and about the same time. Uh, he worked on The Phantom for a while as well. Um, so kind of kind of a, an interesting artist and uh, apparently still out there making some work. But, um, yeah, I think is if my internet research that I'm doing as we're currently talking, his work on Iron Man would have been leading right up to this leading right up to this so like early to mid 80s i think um, you know he's then... a great he's a great storyteller because to make that opening scene make yeah. sense mm -hmm. you know you you would have to know what you're doing in terms of storytelling and making that not a muddied mess but it wasn't it wasn't no. at all it, like each character was so distinctly drawn that, mm -hmm. that there was no trouble uh, figuring out who was doing what and um yeah he did an excellent job i feel like of storytelling here it's it's definitely in that kind of 80s art style mm -hmm. and I, I don't mean that in a bad way I, I love that art style uh it's i think it's great but yeah he's a great storyteller so just looking at the part where he introduces one of the jihad the the jinn 
Um, mm-hmm. I mean, he's got that like Scorsese opening to the whole thing where you got like, here's the box and there's air coming out of it. And, oh, it's a dude. And somebody's like, what is that? And then, he, you know, he's, he's like, no, this is who I am. And so uh, really, really nice introduction of some characters that would last for a couple of issues here. Uh, and then not to go like full testosterone or anything, um, but a couple of pages later where we get like that plain wheel chopping scene, mm-hmm. um, that would be page eight. If you're reading along at home, true believers, um, page eight, um, very much. I mean, it looks like the storyboard for a film. It's very cool. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. And what's fun is like, you see them all. You, you see the antagonist here in these first few pages, right? Mm-hmm. And visually, it's just interesting. You can obviously see their powers at play. But then on the numbered pages, page 17, that's what it says on the DC app. I think it might be a little different, like mm-hmm. with the actual copy. Um, you, ha- <clears throat> you have each of their names and each of their powers. Uh, next up the is it Dijin? is that how you'd say that i think the d is silent i think it's just Jin. Jin, okay yeah world's first digitized man i mean one little statement and it it makes sense you know Mm -hmm. and i think that that's clever writing definitely when um speaking of the like the visuals that introduction of bell reeve you know like and that's on page 12. I'm going to start saying true believer on these more often. Um, yeah. On page 12, true believer. It, it's just great. I, I remember sitting and drawing stuff like this. And you know the the architectural genius of the Teen Titans Tower? Mm-hmm. I just loved drawing stuff like that as a kid. And it was great yeah. for like uh, line notebook paper because you could, yeah. just, <laughs> you could totally right. go on and design. But uh, just the design of Belle Reve and it's like, here it is in, in Louisiana. It's very swampy and, you know, rainy. Um, it definitely creates its own mood and uh, kind of texture to it as well. So, yeah. And I, and I appreciate that since it was the 80s, the whole let's fill in with digital art or digital coloring I don't think was really a thing, not at least in the modern sense. And so when you look at that uh, introduction of Bell Reeve and you have those like whatever magenta clouds mm-hmm. behind it, like that brushwork, I would assume that, that must be a brush, but I don't know. Um, but just the inking on that and the vines in front of it, it really does create like a little... Uh, little tone, little mood there. And uh, uh, I just really appreciate that it was done by hand. You know, it was just him drawing (laughs) and them coloring. It wasn't, let's slap in a digital background. Good stuff. Yeah. And you're right about that. I think it's nine panel page that introduces, um, actually it's 12 panel page that introduces uh, the different characters. I mean, really, really, very Watchmen, Alan mm-hmm. Moorish use of like multiple images on a single page. Uh, and, and just as far as setting up the story, setting up what to expect and what's going to come, very nicely done. 
Absolutely. And very text heavy, but it never <laughs> felt that way. You mm -hmm. know, it never felt like you were struggling to get through it. It just, it just flowed so well, both art and story, like uh, dialogue. It just flowed so well. That's it's right. Good. That's right. Great. Yeah, it's funny to me how so many comics from the 80s are pretty dialogue heavy. Uh, right. People yeah. are like, there's not much reading in those books. And I'm like, but have you read them? I mean, you were talking about um, kind of the the Chris Claremont, Jim Shooter, kind of like keeping the, the integrity of the story in line. I've looked at some of those pages from X-Men, and it's like basically prose in a word balloon between <laughs> yeah. characters talking to each other. Um, and then, you know, on top of that, you're, you're taking in all of the cool artistry, which is there to appreciate. So, uh, and, and shout out, shout out. I know he's a big fan of the show. Uh, Michael Jai White or Jay White, um, who played Spawn hmm. would eventually go on to play the bronze tiger. Wow. Very yeah. nice. Yep. Very nice. And you know, it's so funny that this stuff, um, had the reputation of being kid stuff mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because like with my own son <clears throat> i've handed him comics through the years and um i would go back and look at it you know before i handed it to him like i went to hand him a issue of captain america i think it was 255 like the retelling of his origin and i mm -hmm. read that uh, yeah i read that thing when i was like eight or nine and I was like, yeah, this will be good. It's kid stuff. Like, cause you know, I, I read it like back then, like he'll be able to digest it. Not that mm -hmm. it was juvenile or childish, but, and then I opened it up and started reading it. And I was like, good gosh, oh, <laughs> this yeah. stuff is like, it's, it's not, it wasn't for kids. You know, they, they weren't writing for kids. Uh, there were kids comics, but I mean, it, it really was for teens or, or adults. Oh yeah, um, oh yeah. Well, I remember. I mean, I watched RoboCop as a kid, and you know that whole Frank Miller era, and um, then getting into Predator, which was you know started out in film, but then they did comics. Batman met Predator right. at one point. There was a whole arc of that that I read at like ten years old. So um, yeah, yeah, we we had some good reading in our diet and some good viewing in our diet. Absolutely, absolutely, we did. And <clears throat> having raised kids myself or you know, raising kids they're not they're not full grown yet um i would of course like look at the stuff that they're reading and i understood what it was and of course there's so much more for them at every stage of their development now because of just modern era right there's so much mm -hmm. more to consume um but when i look at something that's supposed to be on grade level for you know, my eight-year-old, my nine-year-old. Mm -hmm. And then I look at what I was reading at eight or nine. Uh, it's not the same. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's, 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 it's not the same. Uh, and I'm not saying one's better than the other. I'm not going to pass judgment except to say that my stuff was better. Right. Yeah, of course it was. Of course it was. Um, but it's, <laughs> it, it's so striking when you open these comics and like, you know, we grew up on them, so we understand like how it flows and how it reads, and that this is what you're going to get when you pick up a comic from this era. Yeah, but I, I I've handed them to my wife before, and she's like, "Good gosh, 
and she's a, <laughs> she is way smarter than me and an avid reader, always reading. But she'll open up some of those, you know, like a book like this and just kind of be blown away by how text heavy it is. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And the thing is, as a kid reading this stuff, I I traveled right along with it, you know, and if yeah. I didn't know um, the relationships and exactly what the words were, I, w- I was still getting a lot out of the story and still invested enough to read and keep reading it. So um, comics are good for you. That's the message of the thing. And I think I've made this observation before, but I think it was it really built my inference skill mm-hmm. to read this dialogue in the comic and then go to the letter page and read about the issue the letter page is concerned with that was like six months in the past and connect those dots be like oh that's why oh okay that's why he said that in this issue because apparently six months ago this happened in the okay i get it now you know what i mean like Uh uh yeah good stuff good stuff I'm glad it was a a generative read, uh, Suicide Squad. It was inspired by that volume three that I picked up. And uh, I was like, I need to dig back into this and, and pull back into my comics, Dirty Dozen Roots from the 80s. So I'm glad you enjoyed it. I did. I really did enjoy it. And um, I was looking ahead because, like I say, I have the DC app and just kind of scrolling through the issues. And that number six cover i don't know if you have access to that right now but it is um a a dead shot cover and Uh i'm not like the biggest like uh can you see that oh yeah yeah Mm -hmm. yeah like i'm not iconic i'm not a big gun guy right but Mm -hmm. just the way that cover is put together that red background i'm a sucker for a red background on a cover oh um just the way that that cover comes together and like the effect that they get with his helmet that's that's one i'd like to have for the wall my wall (laughs) absolutely good stuff i appreciate you recommending it because i you know outside of uh margot robbie and Mm -hmm. and harley quinn and and will smith and deadshot i didn't really know anything about suicide squad I will also say the other thing that film brought out that I really appreciate. And again, I know there are problems with that movie. I know the studio messed it up in some ways from the director's vision. And that's kind of the story that goes with that. But the fact that we got a live action killer croc. uh, (laughs) Yeah. Like I was all into that as uh, somebody that really enjoyed the animated series too. So yeah. This is great. This is yeah. great. He was a little more like the Arkham City Killer Croc than the Aaron Kincaid animated Killer Croc, but still, mm-hmm. it's cool. I enjoyed that part of it too. Yep, good stuff. Um, <clears throat> anything else left for uh, Suicide Squad? No, I think we we've just about covered it. I hope people check it out and check out um, as well some of the books from the eighties that we were talking about and uh, maybe, maybe check out and see if, uh, if I'm right about some of the influences thinking about like Sergeant rock and some of that stuff, because it's kind of an interesting time in comics as it always is. And uh, it was nice to revisit. And it was nice to visit for the first time. So I don't know where we're headed next. It is a, it's a mystery. It's a mystery. Um, I think we've done Daredevil. 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. We'll pull something out and we'll we'll discuss it. Something from the pull list. Yep. All right. Well, um, if you're out there listening and you have comments, you have questions, we'd love to hear them. The comic obsessive at gmail.com is how you can get a hold of us. We'd love to hear from you. Sadly, you've not had an email yet. Oh, well. Well, well yeah. wait, wait. Didn't my mom email once, though? You are correct, sir. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Yeah. So if you want to be cool like my mom, yeah. give us an email. Give us yep. a shout out. But until then, uh, until next time. I guess I will say stay obsessive. What do you have to say, Jason? I would agree. Stay obsessive. And comics are our safe obsession. By all means, support a creator that's not a computer. Um, enjoy some comics. And I guess washing your hands isn't that bad of an obsession. I mean, it's like flu season and stuff. But I'm still going to go with comics. You go with comics with clean hands even. Have both. But um, stay obsessive about comics. Stay obsessive.